Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. If you never remember one more thing that is said today, remember this, good grace from a good, good God. Go ahead and take your seats and welcome to church, especially if you're visiting and it's your first time. And to all our online family too, we give you a great big warm welcome. You find us today in the middle of a series of talks, a collection of talks around this topic the pursuit of happiness. Because I don't know where life finds you. I don't know what your experience have been that have led you to be in church today. But I can guarantee this, there is one thing that we can all agree on, and that is we are all after pursuing happiness in our lives. It's agreed. This is something that we all want. And Luke opened last week And he talked to us um, a lot from around Proverbs 4, which tells us that our heart is deceitful above all else. And that kind of stuck with me. And I want to use that as a platform for what we're going to speak on today, because tomorrow is a special day in the calendar year, if any of you guys have forgotten, the shops are open till 4 p.m. today, and so no excuses. But the world celebrates Valentine's Day, so we're going to be talking about the pursuit of happiness, but we are going to be looking specifically at relationships today. Because I believe this, when you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Saviour, your relationships should be better Your marriage should be stronger. Your parenting skills should be wiser. We should be healthier in our friendship circles because the Bible has a lot to say in the area of relationships. And so Luke said last week that the direction of your life is determined by the quality of your decisions. Now, if Proverbs 4 tells us that our heart is deceitful above all else, that means quite often the way we think, the way we feel is not always right. The heart can deceive us, it can trick us. So when it comes to the area of dating and building relationships and marriage and looking for a partner, we need to go on more than just our feelings. We need to go on more than just what our heart says. Because if our heart is deceitful, then it means that it can, you can make a decision on what feels right, but not necessarily what is right. Your heart can lead you into falling in love with someone who may be good to you, but is not necessarily good for you. So when we're looking at a relationship, when we're looking at making choices in marriage, okay, we've got to lean on more than just our heart. And by the way, God has an awful lot to say around the subject of relationships because they were His idea. 
relationships were his gift to you to bless your life. It is not good that man does life alone. And so he put us in families and he put us in relationships that we may do life together. So don't switch off today, please. If you're single, if you're divorced, if you've not yet married and you've not yet found your lifelong partner, please don't switch off. Because I promise you this, in the area of relationships, it's some of the most consequential advice that you could ever give to anybody else. So equip yourself, if not for you, because one day you may want to give this advice to someone else. And so I want to use Deuteronomy 30 as a springboard for everything that we're going to speak on today. And this is Moses speaking to the Israelite nation. And this is what he says. He says, now listen today. I am giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day, love the Lord your God and keep his commands, decrees and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless the land that you are about to enter and occupy. Okay, if we're putting that into a context for us today, the land you are about to occupy, it could read like this, and the Lord your God will bless you in the relationship you're about to embark on. And the Lord your God will bless you in the marriage that you are in. Because this is what it's talking about, that God, if you keep the commands, the decrees and the regulations by walking in his ways, that God will bless you. Verses 17 and 18, I'm just going to paraphrase. But if your hearts refuse to listen, you will not live a long, good life in the land that you're crossing into. Verse 19, today I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call upon heaven to witness the choice that you make, that you would choose life so that your descendants might live. You can make this choice, which by the way is the right choice, by loving the Lord your God and obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him. Okay. The life you are living today is a result of the choices you made yesterday. And so the better decisions that you can make with your life today, the less regrets you're going to have tomorrow. Therefore, when it comes to relationships and dating and marriage, we have to make some wise decisions based on more than just the size of his biceps or the cuteness of her smile, right? You know, have you ever heard somebody say, I'm just so in love, I'm just so in love. And you ask them, what is it about this person you're so in love with? And it's the way he looks at me. I'm like, really? You're going to base some lifelong decisions on the way that he looks at you? We have to get better at that. I would suggest that the area of relationships is where we are the weakest in making decisions. And the reason why is because this thing called emotion gets involved. And emotion causes us to be led by our feelings. And so we get led by our feelings. 
We're led lustfully. We're led impulsively. We're led by the butterflies in our stomach, which, by the way, fly off. So we can't trust our feelings, right? We have to be led by a lot more than just our feelings. Luke and I have been dating each other for over 20 years. Okay, it's a long time, people. But we've been married for 17 years, dating for 20 years. But here's the thing, we don't have all of the answers. But this is what we've learned. We've done a lot of it the wrong way, and we've done a lot of it the right way. And we've gone to the Scripture, and we found out God's way. And we've discovered that the Bible has a lot to say on how to make relationships work, last, and not only that, but keep on getting better. And so in this text, we find Moses is instructing the Israelites. It's like he's putting a test. God has given them a test. It's multiple choice people. It's this box or it's this box. So Moses presents them, which, but Moses is such a good teacher, he gives, us, he gives them the answer as well. He says, by the way, the right answer is life. Choose life that it may go well in you, with you. But I think this, you know that Moses is challenging them. He's challenging, put God first in all of your decision making. Put God first when you're looking for a partner. Put God first when you're in the dating season. Put God first in the marriage and it will go well for you. But I think that we have got a little bit mixed up and a little bit messed up in what we think the blessed marriage looks like. You know, we have this thing called social media and so we scroll through it and we see the car and the holiday and the house and yada, 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 and we think that's a blessed couple. That's a blessed life. No, no, no. These are things you can acquire through life, but God wants to bless the who you are in life. God wants to put a blessing on you so that the relationships that you form and forge blossom and grow and become edifying to your life. So I'm going to give you three things, and it's just three things. There is can I just put it out there and say, like, we, we just get like half an hour to teach on this subject, and we're not experts, but I promise you there are so many good books, so many um, great people out there, counsellors and teachers and leaders and marriage courses, and I encourage you, get on one. Find someone who can help you. Don't live your life in a dying marriage. So three things that can help you to make wise choices in the area of relationships. The first one, if you can manage your mouth, you can manage your marriage. I thought I would get the one that I struggle with the most out of the way first, okay? If you can manage your mouth, you can manage your marriage. God is the God of order. God is not random. He does nothing randomly. Everything that God does is done to order. Therefore, in the area of communication, there is an order. And my Bible tells me that you and I were created in His image and in His likeness. Therefore, when you stand in front of a mirror, there is something of the reflection of God looking back at you. And I see two ears and one mouth. And I think when God made mankind that He was subliminally, subliminally messaging to us, will you listen more than you will talk? Now, I know that's a little bit difficult for some, right? Okay. But God says, will you listen twice as much as you speak? 
Now, I know that there is this massive um, chasm when it comes to men and women communicating. It happens to all of us. But may I suggest it's not just that we are male and female while we struggle in the area of communication. There's these things called personalities. And we're living in a generation now that is more aware of personality profiles than we've ever been before. Anybody ever done a personality test? Yeah, okay, yeah. You have done personality tests. If you haven't, you need to jump online, find one and do one because I tell you, they are brilliant. They help you understand you. And if you do it as a couple, it's amazing because you see your character definition and you see his character definition and then you can see the gaps where you're lacking and what you're good at and what he's good at. And and so they're really interesting. We have actually taken personality profile tests as a staff team. Because we have learned that there has to be an order in our communication. Because some personality types take over a lot more than other personality types. And just because someone is quieter doesn't mean they haven't got something valid to say. So we've had to learn about personality profiles so that when we sit down in a staff meeting, they're grinning at me. When we sit down in a staff meeting, we can go systemically in an order so that everybody gets to speak and everybody else gets to listen. We need to be doing this in our marriages because different is good. Different is how we learn from each other. Difference is healthy in a marriage. And we have to know this about communication. You know, in the early years of our marriage, we were so different. Like, I didn't know how to commute. I mean, we were obladi, obladi. He said, low, I said, hi. He asked, when? I asked, why? Black, white, chalk, cheese, salmon, goff, uncle. We were different on every single level. And communication was hard. And it always ended up in tears or it ended up in frustrations that we just didn't understand each other. But as life goes on, you do learn that actually different is good. People say, well, we can't be together because we're so different. No, let me tell you, different is good. And you know different in your marriage. Differences keep your marriage alive. Differences keep your marriage exciting. I don't want someone who always agrees with me. That would be a boring marriage. I don't want to be in a relationship where I am always right. That would be boring. I don't want somebody who's just a yes person in my world Because that's not right. I want somebody who colours my world different to me, who brings creativity to my life different to the creativity that I bring. Because differences are good. But how will you ever hear the differences if you don't listen more than you speak? You know, as I'm stood on the platform, I can look out and I can see all of your faces. But what I'm not aware of is what is behind me. But if someone were to stand back to back with me, they would be able to give me a perspective of the room that I cannot see. And that is how it is in relationships. Your partner, your husband, your wife, they bring a different perspective of the same relationship. So different is good and different is healthy. If you've chose a a person to be your partner in life, but you talk at them more than you listen to them, then you're stumbling around in the dark and you will surely fall. Communication is vital. And communication has to go on all through married life. Why? Because people change. 
because he's not the same man that I married 17 years ago, and I'm not the same woman that he married same, uh, 17 years ago. But I can't just assume that I know him based on the person I married all those years ago. People change. Now, hear me right, our fundamentals don't change. We live our life planted and based on the Word of God. I love him, he loves me, that does not change. But our likes and our preferences change and our priorities change over time. You know, and if we don't change, then we will procrastinate. And if we procrastinate, then we will forever live frustrated with one another. So I have to listen when he speaks. He has to listen when I speak. And so it is too for you in your relationships. You know, when when Luke asked me to marry him, planting a church was not on our agenda. It was not something that we'd planned to do. It's not something that we'd ever thought about. That wasn't part of the deal. But when I walked down the aisle and I said, I do, to him, what I was saying was, I do to all the dreams, visions, plans, and potential that God has placed on the inside of you. And at different points of our journey, as you mature and as you grow in him, he's going to pull out various parts of his plans and his purposes. So for me to want him to remain the same as he was the day I married him, is not affording him the grace to change and grow in God so he can fulfill his God-given destiny. Do you see what I mean? So if I don't allow him to change, then he's never going to grow in the purposes of God. People change. We change. Change is important. But if I don't listen to his conversation, I will never hear the change that's coming from him. People changing is not negative. People change because they're not growing. And if you're not growing, then you're dying. So thank God he's not the man you married 20 years ago. Thank God she's not the woman that you fell in love with 10 years ago. She is changing. Proverbs 18.2 says this, Fools have no interest in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Ow. I'll tell you what that looks like. Have you ever got into an argument with one another? Have you ever been in that sort of tension-filled home where voices are rising and tempers are rising and you're arguing with one another and he is just giving you his opinion but you're not listening to what he's saying because you're just stocking up your own ammunition, ready to fire straight back. And as you open your mouth and you unleash all that you're venting and all that you're feeling, he's not listening because he is now just preparing his speech to fire right back at you. And the Bible calls us fools because he says you've got no interest in bringing peace and you've got no interest in understanding each other, but you delight in just getting your opinion across. Can I just say this? When all is said and done, and all of the fighting, and all of the arguing is done, and you sit down, do you not find you actually both really want the same thing? It's the same thing that you want. So we need to be, learn the art of listening to each other way more than we do talking at each other. The second thing that we've discovered is that if you remove the boundary, you remove the beauty. 
So I don't believe that we can talk about relationships without talking about the subject of sex. Because sex is not dirty and sex is not rude. It is actually a gift given by God for the purpose of marriage. And I believe that we're living in a generation in 2022 where everybody has their own definition and their own understanding of this subject. But you know what? Everybody's doing it. The church may as well be talking about it because I think the Bible has got some very clear things to say when it comes to this subject. And you know what? It's not, our, it's not in our interest to make anybody feel uncomfortable because wherever life finds you, that is your journey. But we're just here to present to you what the Scripture has to say. God designed sex and um, it was given to us for the purpose of marriage. Does anybody ever remember the old folk tale um, about the emperor's clothing? I think if you're perhaps over the age of 30, you might remember. And it's a fairy tale about the emperor or the king who um, he just took pride in his image and how he looked. You could never find the emperor uh, with his military forces. Neither could you ever find the emperor sat on his throne. The emperor was always in his dressing room admiring his latest garments. And the story goes that two swindlers came to town, two con men came to town and convinced the emperor that they could make the finest garments for him out of fine linen and the purest gold silk thread. But here's the thing, the garments, the materials that they used were invisible and only the smartest and the most intelligent people could see this kind of a garment. And so the swindlers set up their spinning wheels and they began to sew and they began to thread invisible threads. And though in the emperor's subconscious he, he, he knew there was nothing there, he didn't want to feel a fool. And so every time he would go and see the swindlers sewing, he would admire the garments that they were making. And they would say, can you see it? And they'd say, yes, it looks admirable. It looks amazing. And eventually the swindlers, they finished making the emperor's garment. And then came the day for the emperor to try his garment on. And they called the whole town together so that the emperor could parade through the town in his new garment. But they told the town people, only the smartest and the most intelligent people can really see the king's clothes. For they were invisible. And so the king went out in his invisible garment and he paraded the streets and everybody clapped and everybody cheered until one small child shouts in the crowd, the king is naked. And all of a sudden, everybody said, I think the child might be right. For the child spoke what he saw. And I'm telling you now, there's a level of deception upon the earth that we've been fed about sex. There's a level of deception and everybody doesn't want to feel foolish. So we're agreeing with the way that it is being presented to us. And we're all saying, oh yes, we agree. Oh yes, we think it's like this. Oh yes, isn't that lifestyle amazing? But it's time for the church to speak up like the child and say, actually, there is another way. Actually, there is a new rule. Actually, that is not the way it's supposed to be. For as long as we remain quiet on it, for as long as people will be deceived on it. If you misuse a gift, that which was supposed to be helpful, all of a sudden becomes 
hurtful. If you've been given a gift, that which was supposed to be helpful becomes hurtful when you misuse it. You know the story of the prodigal son. Dave spoke about the story of the prodigal son a couple of weeks back. And the prodigal son had a gift of inheritance. But the gift of inheritance was for after his father had passed away. But he demanded the gift of inheritance now. He wanted it before his time. And that which should have been helpful to him, that gift, that financial gift, that should have set him up for the rest of his life, for building his future and building his family, he demanded that he have it before its rightful time. And that which should have been helpful then became hurtful because he took what was given to him. And the Bible says he went out and squandered it. And he lived in, in, in illicit living. He lived a bad life. He lived a crazy life. And he ended up returning home in rags. And so many people do that with their life. When it comes to this particular area, we demand it prematurely. We want it before its rightful time. The Father says, I've given you this as a gift to set you up for your future, but you're demanding it before your time. And so everything that God gives to you, every gift that God gives to you has a boundary attached to it. And the boundaries are not there to prevent you. Boundaries are there to protect you. If you think about road markings on a road when you're driving, you can go over the line, but the line is there as a boundary. And the boundary is to protect you. If you stay in your lane, you will drive safely. Now, you can cross over and you can go on the other side of the road. But if you do that, it is not going to end well for you. God gave us boundaries in the area of sex to protect us, not to prevent us. You can go and do what you like and be how you like with your body. That is your choice. But you are moving outside of a boundary that He has set in place. When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, the Bible says they lived in this place that was paradise. It was absolutely paradise. But the gift of paradise came with a boundary and the boundary was the tree of good and evil, which God said, that's your boundary, that's what you must not do. He wasn't preventing them, he was protecting them. But we know the story so well because Eve eats the apple when she's deceived by the serpent and she gives the apple to her husband, Adam. And when they have eaten the apple, all of a sudden, the boundary has been crossed. And for the very first time, they realise they're naked and they feel ashamed and because of their guilt and their shame, they run and they hide from God. And you know what? People are still doing that today, running and hiding from God. How many times I can't go to church this week because I just can't believe what I did on Saturday night. I'm not going into the church. We're running and we're hiding from God. But in the very first book of the Bible, we see a picture of the goodness and the grace and the mercy of a God who didn't leave them in hiding, but He went looking for them. You want to know what kind of a God we serve? He's a God who goes looking for you. He won't leave you in your shame. He won't leave you in your guilt. He won't leave you struggling with your past mistakes, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you done, regardless of the mistakes you made, he made, he comes looking for you because that's the God that we serve. 
God comes in the garden and he starts shouting, Adam, where are you? And Adam's not very bright. He's like, I'm here, I'm in the bush. And so God's like, what, what's going on? And he's, you know, well, it's that woman you gave me. And then he turns to the woman. The woman's like, it wasn't my fault. It was the serpent. And the blame game begins. And the blame game is still going on. We don't say, it was me. I made a mistake. Well, if so-and-so hadn't taken me there, or so-and-so hadn't have introduced me to such and such, this would never have happened. But you can't play the blame game with God. And so there are consequences for crossing the boundary. And Adam and Eve, they were put outside of the Garden of Eden, not because God is a harsh God. But God had said to them, you can live in this place of utopia so long as you stay within the boundary. But when you cross the boundary, this is a place of perfection and you're no longer perfect. So I have to put you outside of the Garden of Eden. Listen, God doesn't want us to live like that. You can't remain in a place. Um, God was saying to them, you can't remain in this place because this is perfect and you are not. But let me tell you what John 8 says. This is the devil. This is the same snake that was talking to Eve in the garden. He's still talking to you and I today. And the way that John described him in John 8 was he called him the father of lies. That is how he speaks to you. The, the, you, you know, if, if any of you are Harry Potter fans, don't judge me. Um, but the snakes speak on Harry Potter and they have this language called parcel tongue. Well, I'm telling you now, the snakes don't speak parcel tongue. Their native language is lies. The Bible tells us that the snake, the devil, he's the father of lies. He has one language. And so the father of lies, he, he, he whispers in your conscience all of the time. He's telling you, it's not that bad. He'll whisper to you through the desire of lust. He'll whisper to you for the desire of lies. He'll tell you that pornography is not as bad as, as everybody kind of makes it out. It's all right. He'll give you the urge. He'll whisper in the feeling. He'll make you think that every guy your age thinks the same as you do. So just go ahead and do it anyway. It's okay. And when you believe the lie, that's when you cross the boundary. And when you cross the boundary, he lies to you all over again. And he starts saying, now look who you are. Now look what you've done. You're dirty and you're wrong and you're a failure. That's a lie also. Because the enemy cannot produce. He can only reduce what God has already said. Therefore, he cannot make you anything. What he will do is he'll do exactly what he did to Eve and he'll twist the word of God because he went to Eve and he said, did God really say? And then she's going, oh, you know, I'm not, I can't really remember. I'm not really sure. Maybe he didn't. And it's the same way the enemy will come to you. Did God really mean sex was for the confinement of marriage? And you'll take the scripture and you'll try and translate it to accommodate and to suit the relationship that you are in. But he is the father of lies. And he lies to you again and again. The word of God gives life. The word of the enemy gives lies. He will take what God meant for your good and he will try and twist it and try and turn it. And he's whispering to you because he wants you to cross a boundary. Because he knows that when the boundary is crossed, you've stepped outside of protection. You know, he'll tell you, do it. If it feels right, just do it. But can I ask you, in whatever ever 
What other area of life do you just do what you feel like? Because we can't live like that, can we? We can't do just what we, if we ate what we feel like, we'd all be obese. You know, these guys who have road rage or, or if you just express yourself however you felt like, you'd end up in prison. In every area of your life, you've got to exercise restraint. In every area of your life. So why in the area of sex should you just do what you feel like? People who lived like that are defined by their desires. But the Word of God says you are defined by the cross. You are not defined by your desires. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who live in Christ Jesus. I am who He says I am. You are who He says you are. He says you're redeemed. He's made you alive in Christ. He calls you His treasure, His precious son and daughter. You are altogether beautiful and you are created in His his image. And there is a plan and there is a purpose attached to your life. Ephesians 1 tells us that even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault, comma, in His eyes. He knows we're not without fault. We're all with fault, but He made you to be without fault in His eyes so that you can have right standing with Him. Three things that God made us to have relationships for, to be married for. Um, Three reasons that God gave you the gift of sex. And one is for purpose, because the purpose was in the first book of the Bible, go forth and multiply. And I'm sure you all know what that means. Hang around this church long enough, you'll soon find out we are shelling babies like nobody's business. (laughs) He gave it you for pleasure. It was a wedding gift to you. And he also gave it to you for your protection because there are boundaries and borders to protect you physically, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. The third and final thing, when you choose life, you choose You choose life, sorry, when you choose your battles. Conflict in marriage is inevitable. In any relationship, this could go go for friendship as well. Conflict is inevitable. How you handle it is optional. Disagreements are going to come in all of our relationships. Disagreements are going to come in all of our marriages, in all of our lives. But in that disagreement, you have to make a choice. Am I fighting for me or am I fighting for us? Okay, what what is the end result that you want? In conflict, you have to choose all of the time. Do I want to be right or do I want peace in our home? They're the choices you have to make. Conflict can be healthy when it's handled right. The Bible talks about iron, sharpening iron. The way that iron sharpens iron, it's two blades that conflict against each other all of the time, sharpening one another. But let me tell you, two blades that conflict against each other 24-7 will wear each other down. So conflict is healthy, but you cannot live there. Proverbs 15, verse 18 says, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. How many times could conflict have been avoided, but you kept stirring the pot? How many times could conflict have been quashed or quietened down, but you kept stirring because you thought he needed to know the truth? Maybe he did need to know the truth, but maybe the way you're telling him the truth is not that great. 
You know, several years ago, I went away with the girls for a weekend away, and um, I pre-made the meals for my family when the boys were younger, and I'd have everything frozen in the freezer. And Luke had one job, and that was to lift the meal out of the freezer, thaw it, microwave it, and feed it to the kids. And Solomon just tells this story so brilliantly. It's like it's marked in his head. He's like, Mom, my dad gave us this chicken pasta, right? And honestly, the pasta was so hot and the chicken was frozen in the middle and I just couldn't eat it. And it just seems to have scarred him for some reason. It's like it was my favourite dinner, but I just couldn't eat it. Well, it's chicken pasta, but it was unpalatable. So maybe you've got the truth and maybe you're telling the truth, but the way you're telling him the truth, the way you're telling her the truth, it's just, it's unpalatable. They're not able to eat what you're saying, so to speak, because the way you're serving it up is wrong. The minute you start to criticise, the minute you start to raise your voice, the minute you start to to air your viewpoint, the minute you start to make small, the minute you start to talk down to someone, though you maybe hold on to the truth, you've just launched that truth like a grenade into the conversation and now everything has just blown up. So we have to be careful how we speak what is right. We've got to learn that we're not fighting each other, but we're fighting for each other. Okay? Be careful that you don't start attacking each other in conflict because you lose sight of what the problem actually is. Now you start having a go at each other. Because the Bible says a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms the quarrel. Let me tell you, patience is a powerful weapon, right? Because it's a fruit of the Spirit. Patience is a powerful weapon. Patience helps you see clearly. Patience helps you think straight. Patience allows a pause in the moment for God to deposit some wisdom within you. How do I need to respond? What should I say in this moment? And I don't know your background and all of your stories. And maybe you're here today and you've grown up in an environment where it was like World War II in your home. It was conflict 24-7. Everybody shouting and everybody having opinions. Maybe you've grown up in a passive-aggressive atmosphere in your household where nothing was spoken about, but the atmosphere was so thick and so wrong that you don't breathe. Your parents didn't like each other, but they never spoke about it. And you grew up in that and you lived in that. I'm come here today to tell you that when you open the Word of God, there's new rules of engagement. New rules of engagement. That we don't have to model what we've seen before. But the Bible is full of wisdom when it comes to moving forward in the area of your relationships. James 1 says, be slow to become angry and quick to listen. Ephesians 4 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for the building up of others. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com.
Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.